Good evening, good evening, good evening, everybody, or good morning, or good afternoon, or whatever time it is, or whatever day it is. You might be watching this in the in the very far future. I don't know, 2030, because the internet saves everything. So welcome. I'm glad that you are here with us. I'm going to bring in my guest, and then we're just going to jump into it because we want to um, use this time wisely, as some of my friends are texting me. Yeah, um, Eric Volz, right? Um, you got is it. A great friend um, that uh, I was sharing uh, that I had an interview today with a friend of mine, and I said um, I'm interviewing someone who was uh, or is an American, married to a Russian, living in Sweden, and I met him in Armenia. And so he looked at me very puzzled, like, how does that even work? So we want to jump into it. And Eric, I want uh, you to share with our audience a little bit about you, your background, where you're from. What, why are you in Sweden? What, what are you doing there? And then we'll jump into kind of a very friendly discussion on missions and missionary work. Just in case, by the way, some people who are watching who are considering becoming missionaries and thinking that God's called them in that, we want to encourage you in that. Uh, to follow the voice of God and do what the Lord's called you to do. So, Eric, go for it. Well, hello, and thanks for having me here with you. It's good to see you again. Last time I saw you, I think, was October of 19 in Armenia. And uh, I would love to meet with you there again. Anyway, it's good to be here. As I say, my name is Eric Voles. I was born in the good old USA in the same city where they build Harley-Davidson motorcycles. And for those of you who need to know that, it's Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, and the Bucks just all over won the, the NBA Finals. The Milwaukee all Bucks right. just won the NBA Finals. So there you go. Uh, it's going my way already, I'll tell you. Um, lived in the USA uh, half my life. I just turned 70. Uh, 35 years ago, I made my first journey to the Arctic north of Sweden, moving here permanently 30 years ago last month uh, here in the north, uh, working throughout Sweden and Scandinavia. And obviously, if I met you in Armenia, I've been to Armenia, worked from, uh, let's see, what was the year now? Time flies when you're having fun. 1991, my first trip into Russia, spent 20 years going in and out of Russia, working with Scandinavian church planters. Then uh, God moved me into another phase. I was past pastoring for almost 10 years uh, through that organization. I ended up going to Armenia in 2016 and try to make pilgrimages there as often as I can. COVID, of course, has slowed that down. But my uh, journey following the Lamb has included uh, India and Africa and the Philippines, Northern Europe, but of course Sweden is home. But one of the reasons I travel is because as a missionary, I want to minister not only at home, like God wants to use all of us where we live, but I wanted to go out from Sweden. It's interesting, I ended up in Russia, not because I really had a burning desire to be a missionary in Russia. I had just moved back to Sweden permanently, but there were Swedes working in church planting in Russia. And I said, I want to go help them. So 
I ended up in Russia. And then ended up marrying, was that before or after that you <clears throat> married a Russian I, I, woman? It was, it was after, after, after. Yep. Lovely wow. lady. She yes. tolerates me. I am very high maintenance. So, <laughs> and I admit it. I admit it. <clears throat> yeah, hey, that's okay. I think uh, a lot of us are and don't admit it. That's that's the big problem. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going with that. <laughs> but you mentioned uh, in the intro about encouraging people to follow the calling. And uh, as a missionary, I like to say this, I've been a missionary for many, many years, and I'm still trying to define it. Because missionaries come in all different colors and flavors and types and whatever. Um, for so me, let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about that a little because um, I, I had this issue with pastoring. Uh, people saying, "Well, become I a pastor too. or something like that," and then I had this image of what a pastor was in my head, and then I said, "No, thank you. I don't want that." Um, and then I realized eventually, at one point or another, that no, it's it's not this kind of one uh, view, one kind of a person that becomes a pastor or something like that. So let's talk about kind of missionaries, missionary work, whatever that means. Okay, because there could be, you know, what, what would you boil down to? Okay, so two questions here. Number one, um, how would you define a missionary? And then number a mission, two, go ahead. <clears throat> number two would be what sort of work um uh, do missionaries engage in or what's that like main thing that you would say this person's a missionary as opposed to say humanitarian aid worker or something like that good question <clears throat> excuse me excuse me again <clears throat> you know the, the the word mission and missionary it it's very very broad in terms of what people who put that label upon themselves or are labeled that way might be found doing. So we need to be very, very generous with that label because missionary can include people who are working in support of missionaries in the field or teaching their children in a larger organization in the field, et cetera, et cetera. For me, uh, I'll quote a friend of mine from many years ago. He's with Jesus now. He said, well, if you're not in the mission field, you <laughs> in other words, wherever we are, <laughs> wherever we are, we are missionaries. Okay. So it's like we're believers. If you're, if you believe in Christ, you're a believer wherever you are. The question is, what kind of believer are you? What kind of missionary are you? And obviously, most people are totally AWOL, huh, in my yeah. less than humble view, when it comes to being a missionary, because <clears throat> they have an understanding that it's up to them to win the world. It's up to them to be uh, gospel preachers. And they can't be. And yeah. the sooner we learn that God's only going to ask us to do what we can't, we'll begin to depend upon the person who enables us, the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's God who wants the world to come to Christ. And he, as we follow him and allow him to fill us with his heart for the harvest, that through us, he will communicate 
good news with people, and he does it primarily through opening a door through our testimony. Not testimony about how we got saved, but a fitting testimony about something that's happening in our life that he's done something with that is like a suitable pearl for the person who's listening. But to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. Amen to that. So for me, mission is following the Lamb into what he's doing and joining him in it because he's working all the time, but he's not working on everybody all the time in the same way, but he'll lead us to people. So for me, mission started for me as a businessman back in the States. I had what's called a radical conversion. I was home alone listening to the book on cassette tape. Nobody out there knows what a cassette is, but let's just say audio book. Doesn't that sound better? Okay. I was listening to the Bible on an audio book. And man, oh man, I realized it wasn't some wonderful guy like me reading a book onto a tape, but God told me through scripture, he loved me and it totally unscrewed me, hmm. turned me right side up. And I've been special since that day because I've been a missionary since that day. To be in mission was part of meeting this man. His name is Jesus and being so radically changed. So it was quote, a natural thing. Now over the years, it gets easier to uh, be less of a missionary the more you're around Christians. Hmm. But when I first got saved, I was only around sinners like myself, and I didn't have anybody else to talk to about anything. And I hadn't learned any religious language at that point. So I was a far more effect will. Hmm. Um, so we don't want to forget our, our initial capitulation if in fact someone had that kind of a conversion so, experience. But mission is simply allowing God in us to, to declare for people. The book of Acts makes it clear the Holy Spirit came and we hear them speaking about the great works of God, the good works of God, the graciousness of God, the goodness of God. And so that's what's flowing out of us to those around us. But we're, we're often hindered because we're like, well, what are people going to think about me? Listen, people don't think about you. Get over it. They're mm. too busy thinking about themselves. I mean, come on. <laughs> there you go. So I suppose that leads uh, that leads me to my next question. Uh, well, the second question I'd ask is what kind of work do missionaries engage in? I suppose maybe it would be right to say that missionaries engage in the kind of work that they already do. So if you're a businessman, you do that in business. If, you know whatever it may mean. Absolutely. You don't necessarily need right. to leave whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, this isn't necessary. Totally case, right. Right. You don't need to leave whatever you're totally doing. Totally right. To do that. I was a happy, sassy, successful businessman, whatever that means. And I get radically saved. And the next thing I know, uh, I'm addicted to the word of God. And shortly after that, I'm in a church where they have a big world map. And the pastor told us who came early, just ask the Holy Spirit for a country to pray for. And I'm kind of like, this is painless, you know, uh, and I did it. But then God tricked me after mm -hmm. praying for Sweden for eight years. He said, you know, you could go there as a tourist. And I thought I could do that. And so my wife and 17 month old son and I, we came to Sweden. Wow. as tourists. 
and a number of things happened. I won't go into all the details, but one thing that happened was after returning to the States, maybe within six months after coming back in 86, that was 1986, I began to pray for the country in 78. The Lord spoke to my heart and he said, you know, if you want, you can give it all away and go. And I thought, well, Jesus said we can do that. So check that box off. It's in the Bible. And number two, my heart had been left in Sweden. Mm. When I came to Sweden that first time, it was like coming home. I can't explain it. I don't know if praying for Sweden for eight years did anything for Sweden, but it changed my heart. So we did it. We gave almost everything away in 1987 and moved to Sweden the first time. In God's perfect plan, I was crucified by a loving group of Christians. And as one missionary to Germany shared one time, any missionary worth his salt has been crucified at least once by a loving group of Christians. <laughs> but we won't go into that. Yeah, maybe so God took me back to the state. There's a lot in that. Um, God took me back to the States. Sweden remained in my heart from 87 to 90. I was in a local church in Florida. And then uh, we applied for new visas. And we don't know how, we only know who, we received permanent residence. It's hmm. like a green card. So we gave it all away the second time in 1991. And the first time we gave almost all away, but we kept back some sheep to offer to the Lord, you know, <laughs> kind of like Saul. Anyway, so... <clears throat> We gave it all away in 91, and I'll tell you what, it has been a fantastic life, but don't confuse that with easy. It huh. hasn't been easy, but he is faithful. Amen. Amen. You know, a lot of folks think about believing, trusting, hoping, and having faith, but I learned in this race, it's about the faithful one. It's not about me. Amen. So there's no way someone can listen to you speak or see you speak in this case and listen to you speak without just being mesmerized by that uh, fantastic gift God has given you, the, that voice of yours. He's good. Thank and um, I know you um, do some podcasts. Yes, uh, sir. Which is uh, so tell us a little bit about the podcast, because I want to put the description. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to put the link in the description box so people. Okay. Uh, who might want to go and, and listen to that and All make right. it a part of our daily, the, you know, their daily routine. So tell us about what it's called and then what, what, what is it that you do on the podcast? Okay, thanks for asking. It's called Fika with Arctic Eric. Fika is a Swedish word and it's like having a coffee break, but it's much more. It's coffee. It can be a, a open face sandwich. It can be some pastries, but it's really about gathering with other people. It isn't that you take your coffee back to the desk as we do in the good old U.S. of A. It is a social event that happens three times a day. Uh, you have your morning fika and you have your afternoon fika and then you have your evening fika and that's usually at home. But anyway, so that's where the word came from, fika. But through the process of doing a church plant here, I used the word fika for fika church because fika is also freedom in Christ always. And it works in Swedish as well. Frihet i Christus altid. So Fika doesn't work for an international broadcast. I understand that, but people get over it. My <laughs> mother got over it. <clears throat> so I only started it um, 
with, let's see, how did it happen? It hasn't been that long I've been doing it. I've been uh, asked many times to write a book, and I'm absolutely too lazy to do that. So I thought, well, I could begin to record some things. And then uh, the pandemic came and uh, cancer came and it was a good opportunity. Cancer came to me and uh, that's a whole cool story. But anyway, it's cool because I'm alive. OK, anyway. Uh, and so I began to do podcasts because I couldn't travel. And I'd been a traveling missionary for all of these years, not only in Sweden, but around the world. And it's like, okay, do podcasts. So that's how the podcast got started. It's called Fika, as I said, with Arctic Eric. And uh, you can find it by uh, Googling Arctic Eric, one word. And remember that Arctic has a C in it, Arctic Eric. And it's also arcticeric.com. Yeah. That's where the podcast is. We'll, we'll, we'll put all so, of that in the description so people can just click it and go there. <clears throat> so easy today. So that's how the podcast got going. And because I'm still confined uh, pretty much to Sweden, I've kicked it up to a couple of days a week. And we'll just see, see where it goes. It's a yeah. lot of fun. And what's amazing is the reach. It's going into countries I've not been to, don't have any plans on going to. And... Uh, it's kind of exciting. All you know, of this God technology. is good, and I, um, I haven't written this, and uh, I'll say this in public, but I, I've planned on writing some kind of an academic journal um, on Paul's use of um, the Roman roads, or which is a God's use of the Roman roads, right? That Christ came in mm -hmm. the perfect timing. I mean, this is scriptural. But when Christ came in the perfect timing, I, I look at that historically as well as we should, in that there was this Roman peace, the Pax Romana, and that actually allowed for the gospel to go forth. Um, sometimes we look, I used to do a lot of street ministry when I was a brand new Christian. And uh, that's because people hung out in the streets. The people hung out in marketplaces and have historically. And Paul went to the marketplace. He went to the synagogue, right? He went Mars, uh, Mars Hill, Acts 17 is famous. But um, so when I was doing street ministry, we'd go to you know, places like movie theaters, and then we would go to um, uh, university campuses and all these things. But one of the things that's come out of this is that people now congregate on the internet. And Christians, I'm really glad that there's so many of us doing this, is that, hey, this is where people are. Uh, whether we like it or not, this is where people are. Um, and we got to meet people where they are. Um, and, and then... A really I, I can't when I was doing Periscope broadcast there was a there was a man that contacted me from an unnamed Arabic country I would say and told me it's essentially illegal for them to be a Christian in their country you know identifies as a Muslim but really isn't and is really looking looking into Christianity and I said wow I'm sitting here at home on my couch and there's someone listening to me watching. I'm reaching someone in a country that if I were to go up to someone on the street and preach the gospel to them, I'd get arrested and put in jail uh, for all sorts of reasons, right? Like, so it was just amazing that we have this great opportunity and we can, we can do this. Um, well, you so, know, you say that there are a lot of people that have something to say, but they, they don't feel comfortable opening conversation with spiritual conversation with people. Mm -hmm. And the one thing about YouTube and, and podcasts is 
people, if they keep listening, it's because they want to keep listening. It's not because you're able to keep them That's listening. Right. Yes. Uh, and so absolutely, it's another world. So, and you know, today, I would guess it's pretty Armenia, but people don't know their neighbor. Yeah. So I, I have I, probably I, more communication through my Facebook with one of my neighbors than I do running into in them. Person. Okay. So let me, let me ask a couple yeah, of questions. Absolutely. Why, why did you, why did you end up in Armenia? And uh, how many times have you gone to Armenia, by the way? Yeah, let's see. It's only been uh, eight or nine trips. Okay. Um, and I take teams when I go. Well, I was a pastor uh, in the Swedish Evangelical Church. And uh, they, I'm really active with, I was active with them in mission as well. Mm. And uh, one of their folks had been to Armenia ahead of me. And uh, actually, it's because a friend of mine ended up with a cancer and could not go in 2016 for a weekend where they were going to be teaching pastors. And so at the last minute, I got called. I'm, my name is Plan B. Anyway, <laughs> I got called and asked if I would go. And uh, there were some other reasons why you as an Armenian would, would appreciate uh, one of the reasons being I was the right age. In that culture, if you're approaching 70, everyone younger than you are, no matter how young, you have an unearned authority position. Yeah. And these people who had been going to Armenia were the well-educated, but the wrong age, if you understand what I mean. <clears throat> Guys like you, but anyway. Yep, that's true. <laughs> anyway, so I thought, well, yeah, I can play senior statesman. I can do that. You know, I can smile and be nice and not say anything stupid. So uh, I did go and I did the conference with them. And as it was, they didn't continue to go at that point, but God connected me with people and said, I want you to bring teams back. So having worked with teams around the world, it was, for me, it was a no brainer, of course. But what's interesting to me is on, uh, was March, May 1st, 2016, it was a Sunday. I was preaching in a church in Yerevan. It was so cool. And I realized during, you know, when you're being translated, you can have a whole nother set of things going on in your mind other than what you're doing. And because uh, our minds move at the speed of light, it's our mouths that anyway. So <clears throat> I'm there preaching and the Lord reminded me it was my first Sunday to be preaching after I was old enough to retire. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, get ready to refire. And I shared that with the church. And I said, just what I told you. And then he asked me in the back of my mind, he said, you gave Russia 20 years. How much will you give Armenia? Mm. It's my first trip. And I'm like, being the man of little faith, I thought 20 years in Russia, 65, 20, 85, can't go there. I said, Lord, I'll give it 10 years. So I guess I'll add two years for COVID. Oh. But nonetheless, um, he definitely indicated to my heart that uh, I would continue to go. Uh, so Amen. that's Armenia happened through the church group I was working with. Okay, so let's switch over here because um, <clears throat> a lot of times when people say things like, well, I'm going to go church plant in, you know, name a European country, say Sweden, Denmark, yes. whatever, England, yep. Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, you get this reaction from people sometimes. Uh, it's a sort of reaction I, I get when a number of years ago, I took a small group of folks to Miami for uh, 
for some short-term missions kind of stuff, uh, helping with the church there. And, um, and when we're fundraising for it, we tell people, hey, we're going to do this missions work in Miami. And people would look at us and say, yeah, right, missions in Miami, right? Uh, they, you know, they would think we're trying to you know, do some kind of a vacation thing. The reality was that the community we went to actually in Miami had a huge Haitian uh, immigration that had happened because of the earthquake. And uh, it, was, it was really shocking. I mean, again, Miami, and then you see what's going on in people's lives. So why is there a need? Because everyone thinks Europe is Christianized, right? There's kind of this Christian identity generally in Europe. Specifically, let's talk about Sweden, and then maybe let's talk about um, Europe. Um, why is there a need? I mean, you're there clearly because you think there is a need. God thinks there's a need. That's why he sent you. Um, so kind of explain that to the audience. Maybe some people who might be saying, well, you know, I want to go to the remotest parts of the earth and, you know, these villages and that nobody's ever gone to because, look, everybody's... When you, when you read the uh, Nobody Has It Anymore, you'd have to go online. If you read the Encyclopedia Britannica, you would discover that Sweden is a Christian country. Europe is a Christian area of the world. Why would you want to go there? Well, because God led me here. Mm. And after getting here, I discovered that this is, depending on who you read, the most secular country in the world. And that doesn't make it the reason to come here. It just makes it an interesting challenge to be here. Um, I'm here because he wants me here. I'm here because he wants to use me specifically to reach people here and to equip. And as I've gotten a bit older, I'm doing a lot of mentoring. I've mm. met a lot of people. I'm mentoring work pastors and priests. And that's a very big part of uh, having, quote, paid a price over the years to gain some insights uh, in scripture and through him living them out in my life. So there is a need everywhere. There is a need, get ready, I'm glad we're sitting down. There is a need to evangelize in churches where everybody's a Christian but isn't. Mm. There was a fellow here who founded or had a lot to do with the founding of the group that I was with that said that the job was to preach the gospel to the baptized heathen. <laughs> preach the gospel to the baptized heathen. Listen, we have to look at Luther himself. I mean, when that thing kicked off, a majority of the people he was talking to were just wedded babies. They weren't converted. So there's a need everywhere. So, and I, here's what I want to say. It comes to mind, then I'll let you go on. If you're not being used by God where you are to see people meet the king, moving to another country or city won't fix that. It's like if your marriage isn't working, buying a new house will only mess it up more. It won't help it. Okay, that's good. Um, so you mentioned Luther. And yes. um, let's talk about kind of Luther's influence. What's kind of the religious demographic, I guess, of Sweden? And what does that look like in comparison to some of the neighboring countries? Well, Sweden is uh, a Lutheran country, technically speaking. We have the Church of Sweden, and I'm glad it doesn't contain the word Lutheran in it because I think many Lutherans would not be able to identify 
with the Lutheran side of the Church of Sweden, except in what is written, what's written down. Um, like the Magna Carta, everybody's heard of it. Anyway, um, forgive me, Lord. Anyway, um, back when I first began to investigate this country, almost 98% of the population was Lutheran because you were automatically a, a member of the Church of Sweden with birth. And there was a somewhat of a divorce between the Church of Sweden and the government in 2000. And that number is plummeting rapidly, but it's still the second largest Lutheran church. It had been the biggest, but it's been pa uh, passed by a, a group in Africa. Anyway, a Lutheran group. So you're dealing in a situation where uh, people are Christians by birth, not mm. new birth. And so that creates a whole set of problems. Um, so we need to focus on the Christ and not the Christian. I mean, Europe is needy. And one thing that I've seen and experienced as I've been a part of missions conferences around the world, that some of the most down-to-earth missionaries I've met are the ones who are lifers in Europe because they know it's a little bit like being a lifer in Japan. Mm -hmm. You can spend your life and see very few people meet the king and that's why it's so important that you be where he wants you to be if you're not you're going to end up in the book of numbers and he lives in the book of acts mm. in other words you're going to feel pressure for for getting the numbers and uh it's not about that it's about obedience to the king and uh, being where he wants you to be Okay, in so here's a here's a kind of a comment question that's come in. Let me put that up on the screen. Whoa, that's not supposed to be like that. That's interesting. Okay, I'll just read it. I don't know why I did that. Um, <clears throat> so I wonder, uh, Andonik asks, I wonder, are most people there atheists or people who claim to be Christian as a result of tradition? You meet different. It's not a, a single answer. Um, agnostic. I mean, I haven't met that many true atheists anywhere, but agnostics. Actually, let's take it to an, another level. God is not in the equation. So mm. he's not in the equation. Uh, we are very successful secular humanists in mm. Sweden. And uh, God, like the emergency room at the hospital, is when you have a need. In other words, you go to the church if you're going to get married, maybe, and you go to the church to be buried. You probably don't have much of a choice in that. Yeah, um, but there. other than that, this is also a highly compartmentalized socialist world here where there is a department to take care of everything. And if you don't need something from a particular department, mm -hmm. then uh, you just go on with your life as whatever that might look like. I don't know if that answered the question. No, but. no, it, it does. It does. Because I think people are trying to figure out kind of what's what's the, you know, thinking, thinking patterns of, of folks there. Uh, someone mentioned that there's a large uh, Polish migration happening to Sweden. Is this true? Uh, we have a tremendous migration from the Middle East and from Africa. Tremendous. Uh, percentage wise, unbelievable. And uh, it's putting a tremendous uh, pressure on the uh, infrastructure in terms of medical care and housing and uh, subsidies to people. 
Yeah. Nam- namely, because it is socialist, uh, it provides care uh, in that sense. Provides like care. Yeah. In fact, Sweden was was even advertising. The government was even advertising. Come here. Here are the benefits. Hmm. Okay. Um, and now those who who like myself who pay taxes are saying, hmm. But that's a political thing, so we. Won't yeah. So okay. So let's move into uh, like how does that impact the church, right? Because now there's all these people coming, and maybe some of these people coming from countries where, right, like uh, the the gospel they've never heard it, or, um, or it's very difficult. You said the Middle East and some African countries as well. I know in Germany, um, I'll use this as an example because I want this. I want to focus on this. I know in Germany, there was a number of issues going on with false conversions. So folks coming in and then saying, oh, we want to become Christians. We want to get baptized so that, you know, they would end up staying in the country because it becomes a religious issue instead of, um, you know, just political kind of issues. Are you guys seeing similar issues in Sweden? And how does the church kind of impact this um, in, in its call for the gospel? Let me back up and answer this way. We have false conversion in American churches when 12-year-olds feel pressure to go forward and shake the preacher's hand. So we have false conversion problems everywhere, right there in the good old USA, in the Bible belt. So, but the motives are different, I know. The motive in the US is you get a new bicycle and anyway. So, sarcasm won't get you anywhere, Eric. Anyway. Uh, yeah, of course there's false conversions, but one of the cool things is that many churches have reached out to the immigrants. I was part of working with some people who were reaching out to a very large immigrant population right here where I live that were being temporarily housed in a resort, um, over 600 people, and reaching in. In fact, it was an Armenian who came in, who came to visit here who heard about these people and wanted to gather with some of them. And that actually got the entire work rolling, which then continued seeing not only uh, people converted, but in the uh, Muslim culture, women even dared to begin to come to the meetings and they were saved. And uh, so you had men and women together in this and they paid a tremendous price because there were over 600 uh, refugees and maybe only 30 of them uh, would gather with the Christians. And, and of course, they paid pressure, paid a price through the mm. pressure. But a lot has been done uh, to reach out. But in the terms of it, the numbers are very, very small. Now, some people say that among refugees, there's been a revival. Well, I guess we have to divide, define revival. But the point is, yes, people are coming to the Lord. And uh, yeah. God is in control of history. Um, yes, sir. Uh, so, Ivan, or I should say Ivan, uh, I think it's Urbe or Urb, um, asks, where does Eric currently live in Sweden? Great question. I live just south of the Arctic Circle. Uh, right now, we're in uh, about 22 hours of daylight. We were up to almost 24 hours, but we've now... Uh, past that, and we're heading to uh, 
almost 24 hours of darkness around Christmas time. But yep, the Arctic North, and I make this joke, people ask me here, you know, they can tell from even when I speak Swedish, particularly that I'm certainly not a Swede, that I come from the good old USA. And they'll ask me where, and I say Florida, and they go, Florida, how could you come here from Florida? And I say, take it easy. I left from Northern Florida. <laughs> okay, my my picture's frozen. It might come back. It might not. We'll see. Um, let me actually. But it, logistically, it was perfect because the the church planting that I was involved with in Russia was way way north of here, extreme northwest Russia on the Kola Peninsula, yeah. where it is dark totally like more than six weeks uh, in the winter. Wow. So this was a great, it's only a, a thousand kilometers, 600 uh, miles uh, to Russia from here. So how, uh, how clearly can you see the northern lights? Oh, hey, if you want to stay up, I don't. I'm a morning guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, when they're out there, it's a light show you don't forget. I'm smiling because it is absolutely incredible. And if the conditions are right, you can hear it. It's like being under high tension wires. Wow, so, uh, it's beautiful. Normally, it's various colors, shades of green, but uh, they can go into colors like the rainbow. Mm. That's beautiful. And um, we have reindeer. We have reindeer. <laughs> Absolutely. I work among the Sami uh, since 1987. They are the, the folks that herd the reindeer. Anyway. Um, Eric, I want to... Um... I, I'm hoping that you're comfortable to speak about this. Uh, you've posted about it online and stuff like that. Recently, you you mentioned here. You recently you um, had a battle with cancer. Um, yeah. Now, it's, so tell us about it and tell us where it was because I think there's kind of a weirdness, maybe is the word that I would use as to how and where that came about, and then how you kind of reasoned through that, theologically mm. and your view of God and. Yeah what God taught you throughout this process. Absolutely. Um, to make to make a funny about it, <clears throat> I've often wondered if it happened where it happened because I've been so cotton picked and pleased with my voice all these years and it has impacted my voice. So what can I say? But it began. Uh, by the way, if you've ever seen a buffalo chicken wing, that's exactly what my tumor looked like, so I'll never eat another one. But anyway, we went uh, went to the doctor, and they played around with it a little bit. And then a guy almost my age came in and said, I think we need to get this looked at. The other two doctors weren't really sure if it was mm -hmm. this or that. So I went up to the local regional hospital, and uh, they wanted to do a biopsy. And all I remember is they hit a nerve, and the nerve was working anyway. So they came down uh, uh, like an hour later from the lab. The pathologist came in and say, we see some cancer cells. They didn't say cancer. Hmm. So uh, here's the cool thing. And I think it comes from running around the world with a faithful God so many years and living on the edge of disaster with him all the time and him never failing. The moment... I heard that. It just exploded inside me. God's got it. Hmm. I'm, uh, God's got it. 
So it wasn't until we went to the oncology department in the university hospital south of here, uh, where they actually used the word cancer. Obviously, it was alluded to a few times. But that whole time, it was God's got it. And that carried me to the point where I realized it wasn't about me having cancer. It was about the fact that no matter what happened to me, I can't die. What do I mean? Eternity is in my heart. So I could not lose, if you want to look at it that way. I wasn't wanting to go to leave this uh, temple that has been abused by overweight most of my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to leave it. But at the same time, it allowed me to focus instead of my on myself, me, myself, and I, my three favorites. It allowed me to focus on my wife and my son and my granddaughter because I've learned that it's the relatives that have the hardest time with cancer in many, many cases. So for me, um, God's got it. It's just been amazing. I have sympathy for people that don't know that, okay? And I realize I'm an oddball. I, I won't argue that. But I think in this process of cancer, one of the things that was really interesting was staying eight weeks at the patient hotel because I was getting irradiated regularly, getting zapped, mm. I called it. Yeah. I had interaction with uh, I had interaction with patients, and it was extremely difficult to talk to them about kingdom realities or God or spiritual things. Many of them were my age, and by my age, they've pretty well figured out how they're going to deal with things, and so they're closed off. But had great conversations with medical personnel, doctors, nurses, aides, technicians. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of made it fun in the midst of, of a difficult, uh, difficult situation. Yeah, I have side effects. One muscle's been cut uh, and one sensory nerve was uh, woven into the tumor. But I, I say at this now, I had cancer light. That means I'm here. Hmm. I was around people who had cancer heavy and uh, yeah. So when, so when I'm, you're going... I'm actually doing pretty good. Yeah. So. So you're, t so I'm 35 years old. Okay. Um, you are twice my age uh, and there's a great oh, deal of, uh, yeah, it meant to that. Um, you, so there's a great deal of wisdom, the life experience, obviously you've seen a great deal more in your life and even being in ministry, you've seen people suffer. You've seen people go through different kind of phases and stuff, but I, I'm supposing it's a bit different when you're going through the suffering and then you're asking those questions to God of, you know, why me? Uh, even though, you know, you have the trust, you have the faith, God's got it. I mean, I think you can have those two things kind of in intention with one another, right? Like kind of, uh, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief kind of stuff. Um, especially when the thing that happens to you is the thing that God has used your whole life. I mean, you're a preacher and, you know, you something happens to your voice, Right. Like that, that to me is like, I don't know whether I want to call it ironic or whatever. Um, but I, I sort of sometimes tend to think the thorn in Paul's flesh was his eyesight, uh, which, again, makes I do too. A, a bit sense to me that he's written all this stuff down. Can't even read them very much, you know. 
So, like, how do you reason through that theologically? How do you wrestle with God in the midst of that? Well, I, I have an unfair advantage, and I, I need to say that because let me spin it back to 1977, Home Alone. Um, sometimes people meet God at the bottom. I met him at the top. Hmm. Um, I'm at Home Alone. My mother had sent me the Bible on audio book. Won't go into all that. I was listening to the Gospel of John, and I heard on my inside somewhere that God loved me. And things so radically changed for me that, for example, at the thought of giving everything away and going, there was a joy with that. Um, I've been through things, though. I was detained on a Russian military base and put in a detention cell. Uh, I was being threatened by Hindu activists as I was preaching in India. I was on a ferry that was sinking, but as you can see, I'm here. So I have gone through many things, through. I have no tent many things, through. I have no tent that says, let's find the valley of the shadow of death. Hmm. See, I, I don't have that. But it's because of what I've been through with him in his faithfulness that when cancer came, let me go back to 77. I was asked the question when I was interviewed, I don't know, 10 years ago about doubting my salvation. And I said, I no more doubt I'm saved than I doubt I was born with a Harley Davidson around me somewhere. In other words, <laughs> I know I was born. My mother's not a liar and I'm here. And I know I'm a child of the king. Mm. And so I've had an un fair advantage, if you will, uh, so that when cancer came, you've got to realize it's at the end of 40 years of following the lamb who is faithful, a lamb who I've seen heal and save and deliver. Listen, bro, I made a decision long ago to never think about what do I think about living here. Mm. Because it doesn't matter what I think about Armenia or Russia or India or Africa or Sweden. What matters is the commander in general who loves me and lives in me says, hey, you want to follow me? Yes, sir, I do. Great. We're going to the Arctic North. Wow, Jesus, you mean I'm going to actually be on the water with you? Well, he says, yes, but it's frozen, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about sinking. See, the, there's a reality of Christ in my life that he's chosen to give and, given to me that truly surpasses understanding. And I mean, my wife can testify to it, uh, that I'm whack that I just simply something really happened. But there's a downside to this. I have to continue to remember people are genuinely in love with Jesus and it doesn't show. Hmm. See, that's my struggle. My struggle is all these wonderful people in churches that have most likely met him, but he's the only one who knows it. Hmm. So, because for me, experiencing what I've experienced is normal. So when when 
people have serious issues, but going back to being a pastor, serious issues about uh, am I a Christian or not? Listen now, I decided back in the beginning of this pastoral kick that I was on that it was not my job to convince anyone they're a Christian. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And if someone is doubting, I don't feed their doubt, nor do I try to remove it. That is the job of God. If you're a child and you don't know it, you're not a child. Get over it and get right with God. You maybe were raised in a warm Christian family or grew up in an evangelical church, or you memorized the Gospel of John, or you haven't missed a Sunday school class in 47 years. None of that counts for anything. It has benefit, but it doesn't count in terms of being right with God. And bro, you're a brain. I mean, I love your brain. I love your education. Mm. Uh, and what I think about is one of the things I had to do when I gave it all away was to tell God, I didn't have to, I chose to, I am not going to use my education, budgeting, planning, forecasting, business experience. I'm not going to use any of those things to get to Europe, to get to Sweden. Either you are or you aren't. Either you make it happen and I watch it, or I'm staying here making dollars and I'll satisfy myself with sending money to missions. Mm -hmm. But see, that's a decision that I made. I made a decision long ago when I opened the Bible, I'm only looking for the wisdom and knowledge that is hidden in Christ Jesus. So there's much we can talk about, but that's okay. I'm into the eternal one. That's just mm -hmm. kind of where I am. <laughs> and when I mentor priests, listen, Sweden has the highest level of education among priests in Europe, five, five and a half years. And when I meet with these that I'm mentoring, I remind them all the time that God's given you the ability to learn Hebrew and Greek, and he forgives you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that's all, but unless that is submitted and committed to the person of the Holy Spirit, to your ability, your intellect, and the experience you're gaining. In other words, you're gonna live in the realm of the soul, and that's why we have an incredible number of professionals in ministry totally burned out because they're trying to do it themselves with God with them. Listen, I don't want God with me. I want to be with God. Amen. Amen. Um, got a question here. Uh, here's what it says. How do you engage those with a Christian background who are culturally Christian? I ask because a lot of Armenians are similar in that uh, the culture and religion have meshed into one, yes. which I would say is a good amount of European countries kind of have the same issues. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, if Jesus is the answer, not Christianity, not church membership, if if Christ really, if, if we really believe he alone is the answer, then in conversations anywhere, albeit Armenia or here in Sweden, I'm looking for opportunities to mention Jesus, to bring him into the conversation. And then where it goes from there, I'll give you an example. I was out working on the streets with my shirt on backwards. That means I had my collar on 
looking like a good, handsome, young Lutheran priest. And uh, a young man came up and wanted to talk about God. And uh, that was good. So I talked with him about God. And he let me know that he was baptized and confirmed. And I said, what about Jesus? Many people wouldn't do that. If someone comes up and opens up about God and says they're baptized and says they're confirmed, but they don't go to church, you know, you kind of wipe the sweat off your brow and say, wow, I don't have to go anywhere evangelistically with this guy. Hmm. But I said, yeah, that's good. But what about Jesus? And his face just went blank. What do you mean? What about Jesus? Nonetheless, we went into a good conversation. He then walked away, had a couple of Pilsners, and came back about an hour later ready to talk about Jesus. Mm. So we need to know, we need Christ to put the confidence in us that the simplicity of the gospel, this person, if he doesn't get in the conversation, we've only had a discussion, albeit could be emotional, it could be intellectual, but what about the person? I don't know if I answered your question, but that's in my mind in Armenia. No. And listen, it's easier in Armenia than it is in Europe because Armenians all acknowledge there's a God. Armenians acknowledge their Christian roots. And I want them to meet the Christ of their roots. I don't want them to meet their roots. Hmm. Amen. I want them to meet the Christ of their roots. Yeah. Listen, we've got to keep it simple, stupid. It, it's, you know, Paul prayed that we do not depart from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And if we do, we're going to be deceived like Adam and Eve, and we're going to think it's the knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. We're going to think it's winning a debate. Listen, winning a debate with your wife lets you know there's no value in winning Amen debates. to that. Amen to that. Um, you know, I su suppose that's, <laughs> that's so good. That, that, by the way, all you young people watching, in, I'm including myself in this, uh, that's wisdom right there of many, many years of marriage. Uh, so, <laughs> as someone who's listen, Let me give you one family. more bit of, uh, for any young people out there, I want to give you one more bit. I have my crash marriage course, but I'm not going to do that. Listen to me, gentlemen, I'm talking to the men. When you get married, the first time you win a battle, you start a war and you're going to lose the war. So I want to encourage you today to win no battles. Just capitulate, surrender, and love her. Leave her to God. Listen, God only has one problem and it's me. Mm. He only has one problem, and it's you. And God loves problems. Don't become a problem for your <laughs> wife. Okay, Amen. that's it. Amen. Um, and that got me thinking in a different direction, but that's fine. I want to go back to Armenia a moment. Sure. Go for it. In my culture here and in the U.S., they want young people ministering to young people which makes absolutely no biblical sense, but that's okay. Young people know more about how to do activities than old people like me and kids want activities. I'm not sure how activities get us saved, but that's not the point. One thing I love about Armenia is because of the unearned respect for age, I'm able to minister to my favorite age group, and that's young people. 
and I absolutely love it. Yeah, the so the gentleman that the Jesus gentleman that mentors me, me uh, mm-hmm. at times, especially in Armenia, we would be in certain situations and stuff like that, and he would do things, and then he would say, "Art, you can't do that one because you can't get away with it." I'm 60. <laughs> so yeah, there uh, you and that's go. Just true. That's that's <clears throat> true uh, in that context, uh, and and I. I think there's a value that that's wisdom, right? Like going into the cultural context and realizing what things you'd naturally have that will give you um, an advantage, quote unquote advantage. Yeah. It's very interesting. Earlier on, we were talking about some countries that are listening to your podcast and you said, yeah. I don't know whether they want to hear my English or it's my voice. And I'm like, who cares? It's the message, right? Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it could planting be, seed. Yeah, it could be that they want to listen to you because of your English and it's clear. I mean, just speaking in just speaking English, like American English, gives you, gives you an advantage yeah, in I certain know. parts of the world. And you can't let that go because no, I agree. you can automatically engage in that conversation and make it about Jesus because people want to hear you. People want to talk to you. Um, I took a team, most of the teams I take are much younger than I am, but I did take one old folks team to Armenia and the ministry impact was incredible because uh, where where they come from, they don't have much impact on anyone. Hmm. People don't listen to older people, but Armenia was, was just... Uh, was just wonderful. That I have to be, tell a story though about the Armenian go, culture and then go we'll go it. on. Go for it. I was going to share in a, a church in Armenia and uh, I'd heard about the age thing there and I'm in the office with this pastor and he's checking me out before the meeting and it gets around to how old I was, what year I was born. And I said, 1951. He goes, aha, me too, 1951. I'm like, okay. And then he goes, what month? And I said, April. And he slaps himself on the chest and says, February. (laughs) He had me by two months. He was the elder. Don't kid yourself. That's so Armenian. And I love it now that I'm 70. I wouldn't want to be 35. But anyhow. Uh, You know, it's very interesting because in Armenian homes, um, uh, you have siblings that are very close to one another. Um, in in which um, I'm frozen there, guys. Sorry. Um, the older sibling is, you know, let's, let's say whatever, like a year separates them. But the way that sibling is treated by the parents is as if they're like ten years the senior of their younger wow. sibling. So it, it kind of gets wow. frustrating sometimes. I don't have to struggle with this because my brothers are, uh, my older brothers are old like five years older and then 10 years older than me but i have friends who are who get frustrated they're like my brother is only a year older than me but he gets so much of that like respect from our parents like listen to him he's the older one you know <laughs> but that's so the culture you know that's cool uh so that that's uh that's amazing um going back to engaging people and then bringing it about jesus uh i'll i'll I keep, I keep saying this, and I, I don't think I ever want to stop saying this. Because in my context with Armenians, I fell into this Christianese trap very early on. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, in my conversations with friends, I kept telling them, you need to become a Christian. And then everybody would look at me as though... I already am. Like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? You know, we're the first Christian. They'd lecture you on the history of Christianity. And I realized I wasn't getting anywhere. 
So I changed my method. Okay. Now we got to be careful, by the way. I'm not one of those people that think thinks if it works, do it. Because there could be methods that work that are unbiblical. Absolutely. Uh, so, but I changed the way I addressed the situation in which instead of telling people become a Christian, I would tell them, you need to follow Jesus, which is what Jesus mm -hmm. asked people, follow me. Um, and I would ask, are you Christian? They would say yes. And then I would say, well, do you follow Jesus? Most of the time the answer was no. I'm a Christian, but I don't follow Jesus. Then we would make the conversation about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, and that Excellent. the conversations were more friendly, less defensive on their part. Uh, I wasn't calling them to do some weird foreign thing, right? Mm. Because there's also the whole apostolic Orthodox Protestant division that comes up there. Uh, my conversation was just very simply about, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus said about himself. And he wants you to follow him. What does that mm. look like? And that was a lot more fruitful uh, in the engagement uh, rather than the sort of ways we speak about in American evangelicalism. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. One of the things that I do is I listen for people to make a wrong statement or ask a wrong question. What do I mean? If anyone in a conversation brings up anything spiritual, positive or negative, it's because God's at work in their life. Mm. If they're a yogaite, they're, they're seeking spiritual reality. If they're mindfulness oriented, they're seeking answers. And so I don't attack yoga and I don't attack mindfulness. I was saved out of a Christian sect that was metaphysical. We won't go in that, so <clears throat> I know the power of the mind. But instead, I drill down in myself to the fact this person is a seeker and i don't get blocked up with all that i unfortunately know is wrong with mindfulness and positive mental attitude and yoga and other such things because that doesn't help anyone being a darkness expert will never get the light turned on mm. instead i need to realize this person is looking let's find out what they haven't found yet not what they have found, because they can talk forever about what yoga's done for them. But what has it not accomplished for you? Hmm. And you'll find in, uh, many times an opportunity to mention the one who can meet that particular need. Amen. Amen. Um, someone wrote, and I got to mention this because I, I love this. God's wisdom is respect your parents and your oldest in Christ. Uh, in Christ. Yes. Um, and Christ is the Lord and the truth. Amen to that. I mean, there's so much biblical precedent about, you know, like um, older men, you know, disciple or mentor the younger ones, older women. Yes. Like, there's this older, younger kind of relationship. Again, I, I grew up in a culture where, um, you know, you're sitting down and an older person comes in. They don't have to be much older, but you give them your seat um, or Mm -hmm. You you greet them. You're the one that's supposed to initiate these things as a younger person. Um, and so I, I do this because I think it's right. So my kids, I, I will force them. And yes, I'll say force uh, because that's a part of their discipline is that when they see someone um, that's older, they greet them or give yeah. your seat up or something like that. And I, I think th those are um, you're respecting the I would say the image of God in the individual. Right. You're also respecting the life experiences and the history that the individual has and putting yourself in kind of a learner's place. 
this is this is partly why I love hanging out with people like Eric because there's just so much wisdom that gets thrown my way. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take a mental note of that and either repeat that or don't repeat that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can go either way, right? Uh, either hey, that's you know, like the, the fact that you got up and you're like, God's calling us to this extremely cold place that's very north in the world on the globe, and we're just gonna go there because Jesus wants us to, you know. I could just picture people sitting there and arguing and saying, I have 18 reasons as to why I shouldn't go there. The population's yeah. not, uh, you know, the most. I can go to so many places where the population's the most. You know, a lot more people I can interact with. Yeah. The weather the is not better. as pleasant, you know. Um, all sorts of issues that you can come up with. And then you say, no, I'm just going to follow Jesus wherever he's leading me. You know, in the Proverbs, it talks about the man who's found a maiden and the things that men do that make no sense because they found their maiden. Mm. I mean, there are men that fly across the world to meet a girl, right? I mean, yep, how stupid yeah. is that actually, okay? <laughs> so how much more to follow the king of glory, the bride? How, how much more to follow Christ? to wherever he wants you to be in the world. We just need another perspective. The guy that gets on the plane and flies around the world to meet a girl that he's only seen on the internet or maybe only texted with, I mean, what in the world is that compared to the king of glory revealing, this is where I want you? Yeah. See, we, we just need to think of it differently. We need to think of things the way he does. But listen, being a, a, a full-time Jesus follower, it, it does cost you something. It costs you your very life. Oh, I switched my places with you. It's okay. That's okay. Uh, amen. Amen. Um, Ivan asks this question. Has Eric seen a trend of the youth in Sweden not attending church or not going to a church anymore like the U.S.? So it's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily that they're not Christians. Right. Um, right. Like in America, they've done this research about these this category of folks that are nuns, they call them, yeah. you know, not religiously affiliated. Um, so they could be believers in Christ and uh, Christians for, uh, you know, for our definitional purposes, but they just they're not going to church. They're not in a community. Right. Yeah, of course we are uh, in this town where I live. Um Everyone in, in Sweden, you have two kind, two two basic groups of churches. You have the Church of Sweden, the former state church, referred to still as the state church, and then you have free churches, free hmm. from the state churches. So those are the two groups. And in the town where I live, not one of the free churches that is still open has a pastor, because. Uh, Christianity, visual scene Christianity in Sweden is sinking rapidly. And the challenge in Sweden, one of the challenges in Sweden is to get the focus on where the kids are. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, and begin to reach them where they are. But in this culture, you, it is so deeply embedded that it's all about gathering. It's all about coming to the building. And kids don't want to come 
to the building. Hmm. And so, I mean, and parents are just in trauma to some extent sure. over it. But uh, youth are looking, and I'm seeing more small groups in, among youth, and some of them occurring spontaneously. And because I worked with small groups for many years before I went into pastoring in an organized contest, I want to uh, context. I want to throw this out about small groups. I do know a little bit about it, and I'm going <laughs> to sum it up this way. Any small group is better than none, and none of them work the way the guys that write the books say they work. <laughs> so get over it. Amen. Hey. The, the, better have something whole, rather than nothing. The whole, that's right. The whole thing is summed up in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. And when you can answer this question, your small group will be winning, if winning's the mm -hmm. point. Paul asks the question, how is it every time you gather, each of you has something to give for the encouragement of the other by the Spirit? That's my paraphrase. Mm -hmm. So when we learn that, when we live that, nothing else really matters on Amen. the gathering front. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So I have compassion, though, for the people who have given their lives my age, and they've given their lives to these buildings that are now being sold off and shut down. And um, I, I have a certain degree of compassion for that. But the point was never the building anyway. And everybody says it's not the building. But what? it is the building. <laughs> Yeah, You know, it's not really my airplane, but if you take it away, it will become my airplane. That's right. It'll be the point. I mean, yeah. come on, guys. One thing I learned when I gave everything away both times is I own nothing. It owned me. Hmm. Every time I see a guy get off his Harley Davidson in the U.S. and walk into the cafe or the restaurant to get something to eat. Now, watch this when you see it. They get off their bike and they're, if it's a guy, he's feeling pretty proud and he turns around and he takes five steps toward the restaurant and then he turns around and he looks at his motorcycle. <laughs> and I say, when I see that, what a wonderful man that motorcycle owns. <laughs> uh, the, you know, I had, um, I was at a technology conference uh, with a bunch of Christians on how to use technology. And uh, someone made a statement that uh, the context had to do with social media, uh, but social media is a great tool, but it's a lousy master. Um, yeah, br preach it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's just that that's what we need to realize, you know, and and that just goes for everything, right? Um, look, uh, you know, I hope people don't misunderstand me on this, but my children, to a certain extent, are great tools. Like I have the responsibility, right? to pour into them and see them become extremely powerful weapons in the hands of God. Uh, but they, if I, if my children and everything that's around my children starts dominating my entire existence, right, they become my God. Uh, they yeah. will be lousy masters. Yes. That's, that's not the way God intended it to be. Um, and ultimately God gives us things um, because he thinks we're responsible to, to care for them and guide you know, and care, nurture, you know, you could say God has given the earth to humanity and has called us to be good stewards of yes. the works of his hands. Right. Uh, good but what do we do? We turn around and worship it, you know, Romans one. Yes. 
Oh, uh, we do that in Sweden better than anywhere else I know. <laughs> Maybe Oregon in Northern California. But, um, that might be true. Yeah. Well, Eric, um, let's let's wrap this up. If you have any final words, go for it. Uh, send it out for those who are watching and those who will watch. Um, and then we'll close shop. Well, it's just great to be here. I hope we do it again. Uh, feels like we've just scratched the surface mm -hmm. on a number of things. But uh, just as I say in, in, at the end of my podcast, God bless you. Good day. Amen to that. Harvey. You don't know who Paul Harvey <laughs> No. But I love that. Okay. Good day. Anyway, thanks um, for being here. Thanks oh, thank for letting me be with you. Wow. Well, we've, we spoke about this a while ago, and then you jumped in the chats, and then I always say, that's Eric with the voice. And I, you know, uh -huh. and I was like, okay, people need to, people need to see the face uh, that comes with the voice. As I'm yeah, the only thing better than the voice is the face. That's right. Yes, <laughs> that is very true. Um, again, I want to thank you uh, for taking your time, yeah, giving some wisdom to us, and uh, just my speaking pleasure. from your life. Um, and everybody who's watching, I pray... And I hope that you take the things that were said and spoken about and those things all draw you closer to Jesus and into a better relationship Amen. with Jesus so that you Thanks would be the best witness that you can possibly be for Jesus in the context that you find yourself in. You don't have to go all across the world to be a missionary, no. as Eric said in the beginning of this. Uh, wherever you are, represent Jesus, be a good disciple of his, um, and God will guide you in all things take care everyone thank you for hanging out with us god bless you and i will see you guys friday morning we have a good interview set up for that so take care mm -hmm.